rightfully deserves it. Tell you something else he does. He delights in worship. Praise God. And for that reason, we ought to glorify him. Give him praise. Thank the Lord for the freedoms that we hold and cherish so dear. Freedoms that we enjoy in this moment. To gather at a place like this with no strings attached. To worship and praise, glorify and adore our Father. We've heard enough word already that we could have left here spiritually fed. Our souls delighted in the God of our salvation. But Jesus stood up one day and said, I'm ready to preach to you. Today I'm ready to preach to you from the word of the Lord. We've been studying the Psalms recently in our time of Sunday school, so how fitting that the Lord would impress on our hearts to minister from that book today. We're going to take our core scripture from Acts chapter 13, verse 22. If you would stand in the presence of God. We're, we're back on schedule with our Bible study on Wednesday evening. So I'll remind all our folks that are so faithful in attending those services. Studying the minor prophets. We'll be wrapping up the book of Joel. God willing on this week. So refresh yourselves as we come together Wednesday evening, 7 o'clock for that great time. Acts chapter 13, 22. If you're there, shout, I got it. Come and say, I'll be there in a minute. It is available on the screen and reads as such. When he had removed him, meaning Saul, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart who will do all my will I have found David the son of Jesse a man after my own heart who will do all my will let us pray Father we thank you again for this glorious opportunity to assemble together around your word. We thank you today for the songs of praise and adoration, Lord, that have ascended through the heavens, summoned your attention to meet us in this place. We thank you now for he, the Holy Spirit, who is present among us to redeem that which is lost, to strengthen the body of Christ. Would you do so today at the ministering of your word? Bless our time together. One unsaved person has graced our presence. I pray the Holy Spirit would not release them until confession is made unto salvation. For it, Lord, we will glorify you and give you praise. God's church shouted amen. Amen. I want to use a thought in your presence. The David in us. A psalm that David 
in us. Many of us may say, well, Pastor, I'm really not familiar with what a, what a psalm is. I don't know the difference between a psalm and a, and a proverb. Well, a, a proverb is a, is a wise saying. But a psalm, it, it, it can be set in either poetic or hymnal form, usually accompanied by music. How I many know David was a musician? Amen. Not only a musician, but a songwriter. Well, if he wrote the psalms, he had to be a songwriter. Because psalms are set in the form of poems or hymns. What we find in today's text that after becoming the first missionaries of the early church, the first century church, we discover in a region known as Antioch and Pisidia, which would have been ancient Turkey, we discover the releasing of two devout men of God, that being Paul and Barnabas, a, a, a team of missionaries that God had joined together. How many of you know that even as a, a dynamite preacher that he was, that even Paul needed encouragement once in a while? Barnabas' name meant the son of consolation or the brother of encouragement. And commissioning these two on the very first missionary from the early church, they launch and land in this place called Antioch of Pisidia. It's during that time they find themselves in the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Somebody say, praise the Lord, they went to church. You mean there was church before Jesus? Yes, there, was, there were synagogues, Jewish meeting places. There were temples for the Jewish people, but also synagogues. They find themselves in the synagogue on the Lord's day, and maybe after they've read from the book of the law and the prophets, it's then that the rulers of the synagogue said to them, men and brothers, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. How many of you know that in a synagogue, you didn't pop up at the beginning of service, it was at the end? We don't have that today because most people have already gone home. But praise the Lord, in the synagogue, it was then the rulers of the synagogue would ask the body of believers if anyone has a word of exhortation, Amen to say on. It was at that time that Paul stood up and began to speak in their midst. The word of God said, he said, men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. So Paul then launched into this history lesson on the nation of Israel. In so doing in the discourse of today's text, Paul begins to contrast or to compare the leadership of Saul, who was Israel's wrong king, to the leadership of David, who was Israel's right king. Are y'all with me? Paul proceeds to give us a history lesson in reference to who uh, this man David was. And that's the person today that I want us to focus on. Number one, he's the eighth or the baby son of Jesse. He's a shepherd boy that in the process of time, Becomes a king. Get this. He's anointed three times. Boy, God had something special for this boy. He's anointed three times. Most of the time we hear Brother Tedrick of a person being anointed one time. But David is anointed three times. You can find that in the scripture. He reigned for a total of 40 years. Seven as the king of Judah and 33 as the king of Israel. Here's the interesting piece about David. 
Many scholars and theologians alike have said this in reference to his character. There was never a king who was the apple of God's eye like David. Never. Some of you say, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Was this guy perfect? No, not by a long shot. He was not perfect. And according to the scriptures found in Psalm 52 and Psalm 51, amen, we find this about David. When he acknowledged his sin, he did take the necessary steps to find a place to confess and repent. That's what we find about David. Here's something interesting. You know I'm a stats guy. I love statistics. David is a well-known and mentioned influence in the scriptures. Do you know that David is mentioned more than anyone else other than Jesus Christ? Jesus is mentioned 973 times in the scriptures. Christ 553 times. Combine them for a total of 1,528 times Jesus Christ is mentioned in the scriptures. David himself alone is mentioned 1,011 times in the Bible. His life leaves you and I with many lessons that we can apply to our own lives today. Can somebody say praise the Lord? Thank God for David. I want to begin by sharing uh, David as the shepherd boy. David's the shepherd boy. So you want to say, Pastor, well, what, 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 I mean, who's a shepherd? What does a shepherd do? Well, a shepherd's one who tends, herds, feeds, or guards the sheep. And that's who David was. He was a shepherd boy. He is publicly introduced as a young lad. But the wonderful piece about David was his character. Because he had a courageous spirit, Brother Tedrick. Am I right? But what's even greater about David is, is his unending love for God. Even as a boy, he has an unending love for God. Let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 13. We understand that God sends Samuel down to the house of Jesse to anoint for him Israel's next king. But Israel's got a king. They do. His name is Saul. But he is the wrong king. Y'all ain't going to help me. Y'all ain't going to help me. He, he, he's the wrong king. You can say, well, pastor, how could he be the wrong king? Because he was not the king that God desired. He was the king the people desired. How many know sometimes God will give you what you want? Hello? Sometimes God will give you what you desire. Not necessarily meaning that it's what you need. Not necessarily meaning that it's beneficial to you. But sometimes because the desires of our heart flood the throne of God, that God will give us sometimes what we want. Now why did the people choose Saul? They chose Saul because he was big. He looked the part. If you wanted someone to lead you as king, you looked out over a vast group of people, and you saw this guy, this is the Bible. Don't get mad with me. Get, this is the Bible. The Bible says he stood head and shoulders above the rest. So in other words, in stature terms, he would have been larger than anyone else. 
And the folks begin to say, we want to be like those nations around about us, and we want a king who will rule over us. Even after God says what's going to happen, the people are still intent on God giving them a king. Up to that point, they had only been led by God. God said there are going to be demands made on you that you won't be able to live up to, but the people still said with a resounding voice, Paul, we want a king. So God gives them Saul. In the process of time, God touches his servant, Samuel. Anybody remember Samuel? He's the son of Hannah, whose mother said that when he is born and he is weaned, I will give him back to the service of God. And Samuel goes down with his horn of oil. The Bible said he anoints him in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. What's important here, dear friends, is that God had given the man of God instruction before he went. And what were those instructions? Don't let his outward appearance woo you into anointing him as the next king. For God doesn't see as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but thank the living God, the Lord looks at the heart. Isn't that right? I said earlier that, that, that David was anointed three times. This is his first anointing. In this anointing, he is anointed privately among his family and brothers. Now some of you are like, where are we going with this? Even after he was anointed, he served in Saul's royal court for 20 years before he was anointed again. Uh-oh. Some of y'all are like, are you real? Or is this, for, this is real. This is Bible. Okay? So he, he, he belongs to, to Saul's royal court. And he soothes the heart of the king during his times of depression. I told you he was a musician and he played the harp. So when Saul was distressed or in trouble, amen, in difficult times leading a nation of people, it was David who would come to the rescue. All the whole while, God preparing him to take over the leadership of the nation. But uh, he came into prominence. In other words, he became a noticeable figure when he did what? When he got a sling and five smooth stones and he went out to the battlefront, Brother Mike, to combat the giant of the Philistines whose name was Goliath. Somebody said, I, I, I don't know where you're going. Well, let me bring you up to speed. When you can be trusted with the little things, help me, Holy Ghost. When you can be trusted with the small things, God can trust you with the big things. Am I, anybody listening to me? Am I preaching to anybody? What are you trying to say, Pastor? Well, what I'm saying is David proved that he could be trusted as a shepherd boy. Brother Tedrick, he was promoted to the royal court of King Saul. And he was proven to be a trustworthy servant of God. In the process of time, amen, the opportunity presents itself. Amen, the people of God engaged in warfare against the Philistines. He goes out to take food to his brothers. And when he does, he wants to know where this giant is that defies the, uh, the God, amen, the children of Israel, amen, the God of the Israelites. He wants to know where this guy is that has said, amen, you guys don't have anybody that can stand against me. His brothers tell him, you better get down in this trench. You are no match for this guy. And they are terrified at the stature of this guy. Well, in the process of time, he turns a resume into the king. And here's what he said. He said, I was out one day tending my 
master's flock. And a lion came out of the wilderness. And he grabbed one of those sheep. Glory to God. And I, I went after him. And I grabbed him by the beard. And I smote him. Amen. Another occasion, there was a bear that came out. Amen. And retrieved a one of the master's a sheep. But what did I do? I rose, not in fear, but in courage. And I grabbed him by the beard. And I slew him. And I rescued, glory to God, what belonged uh, to its rightful owner. And the king said, oh, praise the Lord. That's a dynamite resume. But you can't go with them. So he took his own armor. And he tried to put it on uh, that little shepherd boy. It was in a moment, saints of God, that the shepherd boy said, I can't go with these, for I have not proved them. How many of you know sometime you can't go uh, with somebody else's gear? You've got to go with what you got. Yeah. The Bible said that David then opposed that fierce human being known as Goliath. He was proven faithful in the small things. And because of that, God promoted him to greater things. I can see what most shepherds would have done if they would have had a sizable flock, Brother Jerry. They would have chalked that one up for a loss. They would have said, oh, well, I got 150 more. So what's one? But see, that's a hireling's position. Brother Jason, that's somebody getting paid who's not concerned. But what separated David from everybody else was David's heart. Can I get amen, somebody? What you trying to say, preacher? That's what's going to differentiate us from the world. That's what's going to separate us from the people who say they're fighting. Following God. When it comes to the matters of the heart, when it comes to moral issues, where do we stand? Most shepherds, Brother Eric, would have said it's okay. Let's let that lion or that bear have that little lamb. But what did David say? Oh no, I've been trusted, amen, with their care, and I'm going after them. Isn't that right? So he retrieves them from the ferocious beast that attacked. Pastor, what are you trying to say? What I'm saying is that David's love and David's faithfulness moved him into action. How about us today? Our love for the household of faith. Amen? Will they move us to love? Will they move us to faithfulness? Praise God. That's what the Lord is looking for. So God knew that David met the qualifications. And therefore he serves 20 years. Before he's anointed again. When he's anointed again, he's anointed as the king of Judah. How many know that there's a divided kingdom at this time? How many of you know that Judah and Israel are no longer one unit, but they are divided? Israel representing the north and Judah the south. You see, David was insignificant then, Brother Ted, when he was anointed as the king of Judah. Why? Because even their, even their bitter enemy, the Philistines, uh, Brother Eric, when he was anointed as the king of Judah, he wandered into their coast. But they didn't feel like he presented a problem, so they didn't even have anything to say about that. They, they matter of fact, they just looked over it, Brother Jace, like it was nothing. But how many of you know that later on when he is anointed as the king of the unified kingdom? Help me just a little bit, Holy Ghost. Amen. Later on, he's anointed as the king of Israel, the united kingdom. And when he's anointed as king, then the Philistines, they take note of him. They say, oh boy, amen to God, this guy has risen to prominence now. He's the same one that killed one of ours, the mighty giant Goliath. Somebody said, I don't understand why when he went down by the brook and got those five stones, how he, why he needed five, because it was just Goliath. Well, if you read on in the scriptures, you discover that Goliath had some brothers. 
Now, does the Bible say David killed those two? The Bible doesn't say. But I promise you one thing, he was ready. Amen. He had the sling and he had the stone. Uh, long before, amen, NASA came into existence. Amen. Before aeronautics and all, all these aerodynamics and all these things came about. Even God, amen, knew how to direct his servant down to the brook to gather those five smooth stones. That's mind-boggling, isn't it? David, the shepherd boy. Moving along in David's life, we discover that David is the mighty warrior and the king. Shout hallelujah, somebody. You say, what's a warrior? A warrior is one who is experienced in warfare. Did David know anything about fighting? Help me, saints of God. How about as a king? A king is a ruler of a country. What did David know about that? Well, only thing we know is that from the very onset, David's love for the Lord was transparent. His love for God was clear as crystal. And there is no doubt that this made it easier. For Israel's leaders to accept him as their king. I told you earlier that he served 20 years in the royal court of Saul. But after he killed that giant, oh boy, the tales began to turn. Because up to that point, the people embraced Saul as their king. They were excited that they had this guy who was head and shoulders above everybody else. And things were going along according to plan. But Saul, couldn't, he couldn't come up with a strategy that would rid the people of God of the Philistines, let alone the oppression of this giant, massive man known as Goliath. But amen, they came in, Brother Mike, and when David returned from battle, there was a song being sang. You know what that song said? Saul! has slain his thousands but David his tens of thousands can I get an amen somebody what are you trying to say you see his notoriety amen glory to God it began to intensify and the people began to celebrate all the conquests the military acts of David what happens then Saul becomes jealous that's an ugly thing isn't it Saul becomes jealous. The parade ushers David in conquest after conquest and they begin to sing, praise the Lord, the words of that song. And Saul becomes infuriated. He is boiling over at the people's love for David. But did David get rattled? No, because David was faithful to God and to the Lord's service. The fact of the matter is, David forms a band of mighty men. You read about it in the scripture? Some theologians argue between six and eight hundred men. And they become his personal guard. In the process of time, they form the core of his army. Talk about conquest. They follow him from Judah to Gath, from Gath to Ziklag, from Ziklag to Hebron, finally to Jerusalem as David expands the kingdom. In the process of time, he successfully unites Judah and Israel after leading all these military conquests that results in victory. Listen, he defeats the Geshurites, the Gezites, the Amalekites, Ultimately, the Philistines. They proved to be the arch enemy of the people of God. You know what David's 
rain became known as? Israel's golden years. Israel's golden years. So during this time, Jerusalem not only became the political capital, but it also became the religious center of all of Israel. Are y'all following? How many know what the central piece of worship in Israel was? The Ark of the Covenant. Did you know that in those battles that the people of God endured during the Philistines that they took the Ark? You know the Philistines took the Ark of the Covenant and they paraded that thing around. Y'all getting this? A sacred piece of furniture to the people of God that had been retrieved by the enemy and paraded around like a circus act. What do you think God felt about that? It will startle you to know that during the leadership of Saul, they lost the ark. For 50 years, they lost a central piece in connection to God in the nation of Israel. One of David's first acts after ascending to the throne was retrieving the ark. Help me somebody. Tell me it don't mean something with God to do things right. It means something with God to do things right. You know the story. One writer said it was found in a forest, but I do know what the Philistines did. They took it and they set it in their temple in the presence of their God, Dagon. And when they said it in his presence, some things started happening to their idol. Am I right? Anybody remember what happened? Came in one day and they found him, fell on his face. Oh, praise the Lord. It didn't strike. It, it, it just didn't register then. But they came in the next day and body parts were falling off. Oh, praise the Lord, somebody. It wasn't long after that the people began to break out. Glory to God, in a physical condition. It weren't long after that they said, man, y'all come get this thing. Help me, somebody. Come, look at here. come get this thing. I, I, I mean, I know we took it, but the, the, proof of the, the proof's in the pudding. It just don't belong with us. And how many of you know that when they came and, 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 and retrieved the Ark of the Covenant, That when David's heart was to move the central piece of God's connection with the nation of Israel back to Jerusalem, which had become not only the capital politically, but also the religious center of a... How many of you know Jerusalem was, was nothing more than just a hill? I mean, you know, it, it sat down in between the mountains. It was nothing until David said... We're going to establish this place as the political and religious center of the nation of Israel. They said we're going to bring this thing, the Ark of the Covenant, to Jerusalem. What's the first thing they did wrong? They put it on a cart. 
How did God tell Moses there to carry it? By the poles. Isn't that right? Some of y'all say, yeah, but a man died. But a man died because it almost fell. And he t- exactly. Exactly. So, so, so what are you saying? If you're going to do God's work, it's going to have to be done God's way. I need that to really sink in. If you're going to do God's work, then God's work has to be done God's way. Yeah, but Uzzah just stuck his hand out to steal the cart. The ark shouldn't have been on a cart to begin with. The ark should have been carried on poles as God had commanded Moses. Yeah, but wasn't it wonderful that David had the heart to have this thing taken back? to? Yes, it was, but he should have done it God's way. If we're going to do any work for the Lord's saints, we've got to do work for God, God's way. It's a shame that that Uzzah had to die because, Brother Marty, he tried to steal the cart. But if that ark would have been carried by individuals as God had commanded, it wouldn't have never happened. So let me drive this point home. If we're going to do God's work, we've got to do God's work God's way. Praise the Lord. Israel, during David's leadership, with all the spoils of war, and by the fact that through military conquest, they gained control over international trade routes, Israel became an economic power. Am I right? And some said David became a model king. Oh, yeah. You don't think God gave this man favor? You don't think because of all the victories that God gave this man that other nations were terrified? Look at 2 Samuel 5, 11 and 12, and the Bible will tell us something very interesting. The Bible says then that Hiram, the king of Tyre, Tyre set north of Jerusalem on the Mediterranean Sea. They were not allies with Israel. No. But God moved the heart of Hiram, the king of Tyre, and he sent messengers to David and cedar trees and carpenters and masons, and they built David a house. Verse 12, David knew that the Lord had established him as a king over Israel, that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. God gave the man favor with international leaders. Am I right? You know they imported the cedars of Lebanon to incorporate in the construction of Solomon's temple. That region of the world was known, amen, for those trees. And they were a pricey commodity in that time. So what does it mean? It it means that David was not only a renowned king, amen, he was highly acclaimed and honored as king. But I'll tell you something interesting about David. He was also a successful warrior. Praise the Lord. You won't know why he was successful? He knew how to fight. And not only did he know how to fight, he knew how to win. Oh, praise the Lord. I remember one of the highlights of David's career. He and that band of mighty men were out. They were taking over territories and subduing regions. And they returned home to find the camp at Ziglag destroyed. Are y'all with me? That band of mighty men that had accompanied him, their wives and their children, all their possessions. At that time, David had two wives. Y'all help me. 
But they return to the camp and they find it in ruins. Completely destroyed. All their belongings gone, including their wives and their children. Oh, my Lord, somebody. You mean to tell me we're out here following you and you get what belongs to us taken? So in an instant, Brother Jay, what happens? These guys begin to plot against David. This same elite force that had joined with David and were successful in all these conquests, they walk in to find their belongings gone, their wives and children removed from the scene. The Bible said they cried till they couldn't cry no more. Y'all better help me. What you trying to say? Well, what I'm trying to tell you is that we can go from hero to zero in a moment. Am I right? One of the first interesting pieces about David that I wanted us to gather was what? That he could be trusted with the small things. So then he could be promoted to the bigger things. What's the second point I want to drive home to you? He was a worshiper. What? He Preacher. You're going to stand here and tell me the man comes home and finds the camp destroyed, his personal belongings, including wives and children, gone, and he's a worshiper? That's exactly what I've come to tell you. Because what happens when they return the ark to Jerusalem? Doesn't the Bible tell us in the recorded scripture that David danced with all his might in the presence of the Lord? What does that say about David? It tells me he was a worshiper. His first wife was Michael, the daughter of Saul. Preach, Pastor. Am I in there, somebody? And what are you trying to tell me about this girl? Well, the Bible said that when she saw him dancing like that, she said, look at that fool. He's lost it. Fellas, how'd you like for your wife to say you foolish? Look at him. He ought to act like he has some dignity. And he ought to act like a person in his position should act. But did that phase David? Why did it not phase David? Because David knew that the work to which he had bound himself to was fulfilling. David knew that what he was doing was pleasing to the Lord. How many of you know sometime, glory to God, even if your spouse say you're acting foolish, you got to know you're doing it for the glory of God. Glory to God, somebody. How many of you say amen, glory to God, when they tell you that you're praying and your prayers are useless, you got to pray on. How many of you know sometime that you got to get anchored deep, glory to God, in the very presence of the Lord, and they want to spend time, but you got to spend time with God. Oh, my somebody. She looked out the window. She saw this man dancing. And no doubt in her mind, she sat under her breath. Look at the idiot. Look at him. He is making a pure scene. Oh, glory, somebody. No, she wouldn't. Kings ain't got no business acting like that. Oh, praise the Lord. But David was saying, for the thing the Lord had done for me. Whoa, glory to God. David was saying, as good as God has been to me, the countless times he spared my life, I'm going to give him praise. I know how important it is for this piece of furniture to occupy, glory to God, the capital, amen, of Jerusalem. David says, well, I don't care. How you feel about me? I'm going to worship God. 
Some of y'all looking at me right now like a, like a mule at a brand new gate. But here's the gospel truth. Sometime you got to be your own cheerleader. Uh-oh. Oh, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We got to be our own cheerleader. And the Bible said, after them boys cried till they couldn't cry no more. And they sought to stone David. David summons Abiathar. The high, Holy Ghost, help me. I'm about to run out of my coat. Hallelujah. The Bible said, bring hither the linen ephod. Some of y'all don't know what that is. Let me bring you up to speed. Oh, pray the Lamb of God. We studied this in the tabernacle, didn't we, Brother Anthony? And the priestly garments wore, they wore those linen undergarments. But praise the Lord, when they went in uh, to the most holy place, and they went in to minister in the presence of the Lord, they put on a linen ephod, which would have been like a vest. And in that vest, it had a stone that represented the 12 tribe of the children of Israel. And on one shoulder, it had the Urim. On the other shoulder, it had the Thummim. And somebody said that was the yes and the no stone. But what did he do, Brother Mike? He went in uh, to the high priest and he said, bring me that linen ephod. Somebody said, Brother Steve, David wasn't a priest. Why did he do that? No, but the Bible said this about David, that he, glory to God, was a type of Christ. Amen. And Jesus came through his lineage. So he went in and he got that linen ephod and then he did what? He inquired of the Lord. This is how David was so successful in his military conquest and all the victories that he had won. How many of you know you get in a mess when you get ahead of God? Uh-oh, it's quiet in here now. It's quiet now. How many of you know you get in a mess when you go do stuff that God ain't released you to do? Uh-oh, uh-oh. Well, I'm going to just build this here house and I'm going to buy this here car and I ain't even ask God. That's trouble. That's trouble. And that's exactly what the devil wants. But what did David do? The Bible said, David, he inquired of the Lord. And here's what he said. He said, am I to lay here and take this or am I to get up and to go after him? And what did God say? God said, get up, pursue them. And here's what God said. When you find them, you will overtake them. Y'all ain't helping me. And when you overtake them, you're going, you're going to recover all that they took from you. Who am I preaching to uh, here today? Glory to God. Somebody ought to get you a linen ephod. You ought to inquire of the Lord. You've been robbed by the devil. Amen. Come home to find this missing and that missing, this in disarray and that unorganized. But how many of you know that the man of God, that mighty warrior and king, he was successful because he inquired of the Lord. He inquired of the Lord. There were multiple times they faced their arch enemy, the Philistines. But never without consulting God did David go after them. Did he? On one occasion, they mobilized to attack. And God told David, he said, listen, I want you to get ready. But I want you to wait till you hear the sound of a going in the mulberry trees. Amen. That meant the wind began to blow. And it sounded like chariots and horses amen in the valley of Rephidim am I right so what happens when we consult God 
He grants us victory. Did David pursue? Was he his own cheerleader? When nobody else wanted to go, what did David do? He said, bring me the high priest. High priest, bring me the ephod. I got the ephod. I consulted of God. And here's what, the word, here's what God said in the word to me. He said, listen. Get up. Pursue them. Not only are you going to overtake them, but you are going to recover all that they took from you. I said to you earlier, David was a worshiper. You reckon he worshiped when he retrieved what belonged to him? I'm going to say this. It's going to hurt some of his feelings. But it's the truth and nothing but the truth. Worship is a disciplined act. It's a disciplined act of the will. I'm really getting ready to bust some of you's bubble. Well, the homecoming's over. I'm really getting ready to shake some of you up. Worship is not something we engage in because we feel like it. Oh, God. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. Worship's not something that you just dive into because everybody else is. Worship is a disciplined act of the will. Help me, saints of God. And you think all, you, listen, you think all them looks from his wife discouraged him from dancing mightily before that ark? Man, he probably danced almost clean out of his clothes. I can tell you one thing. God was glorified by this man of God's act of worship. Are you listening to me, somebody? And if we're going to gain any victories, amen, you're going to have to praise him in the good and praise him in the bad. When it looks like the whole wide world is closing in on around you, you got to praise him anyway. When your family's lying in the hospital on life, support. you got to praise him anyway. Has he been good to anybody in this room? I wish I had about three witnesses in here. Amen. Has God ever stayed the hand of death when you came out praising him? I want to tell you one thing. I made up in my mind. I'm going to praise the Lord regardless of what comes down. I'm going to praise him when things don't look good. I'm going to praise him when it doesn't look like it's going to benefit me. Why? Because he live in the praise of his people I'm going to praise him worship's not something you engage in because that's what the crowd's doing hello y'all with me what's that song they do drama, did drama to Lindsay gotta, gotta put a praise on it there's a healing in this room with my name on it and I'm going to put a praise on it y'all ain't getting this the devil going to think you've lost your mind when you put a praise on it. My husband ain't saved. I'm going to praise him anyway. My youngins don't want to do right. I'm going to praise him anyway. The doctor said, amen, I got this chance to live. I'm going to praise him anyway. Y'all ain't getting it. Y'all just responding because it's the common thing to do. You ain't been in the position, but I'm wondering. I'm wondering here right now who of us have made up our mind that we're going to praise God regardless of the circumstances. I can't, I can't hear y'all. Glory to God. I'm looking for the worshipers. I'm looking for the David. I'm looking for the David in us. I'm going to praise him. Glory to God. When all my friends abandon me, I'm going to praise him anyway. If I ain't got no family that want to go, I'm going to praise Praise him uh, anyway. Amen. Nobody don't know but you what the Lord has done for you. Are you going to praise him? Are you going to praise him? I heard David on one occasion in the scripture, Brother Anthony, he said, The Lord took me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay. 
Oh, glory to the Lamb of God. I can't get no help in here. David said, I'll tell you how good he is. He put a new song in my heart. And then what did he do, Sister Mary? He established my goings. And you think I ain't going to praise him? Brother Buddy Lockley said, you got a problem, babe. If you don't think I'm going to praise him. Glory to God, I don't have to be in church to praise him either. Help me somebody. Glory to the Lamb of God. God had been way too good to me. And I'm going to praise him. I'm going to praise him. David was a worshiper. Worship is a disciplined act of the will. You got to make up your mind. You're going to worship him. Let me tell you what praise does. Praise confounds the enemy. God knows have mercy. What in the world y'all talking about? Devil sitting somewhere talking about what? In the, I've thrown everything at them but the kitchen sink. And them people still praising God. Am I talking to anybody at Harvest Church? You ought to testify to that fact. Been trusting God for a long time for something to happen that it ain't happened yet. You're going to praise him anyway? Or you're going to sit down on the goodness of the Lord? No, I'm going to praise him anyway because he's been too good to me. When you can be trusted with the small things, God will bless you with a larger task. But you have to have a heart of worship, a disciplined act of the will. Am I right? Praise the Lord. I want to finish up by revealing to us that David was also repentant and therefore restored. Is that okay? David was repentant. And therefore, David was restored. Repentant means that we review our actions. And in review of our actions, it produces brokenness or contrition. Am I right? Somebody said, well, I know what restored means, preacher. It means to be made brand new again. No, it goes deeper than that. That's one definition of restore. But here's the one I love. This one applies to David's life. It says to receive more than that which was lost so that the final state is greater than the original. God knows. There are about seven head of you ought to jump and tore up the rug right then. Because God didn't say that, I, that I'll just make you like new. God said I'll restore, I'll give you back what was lost. And then the end of you will be greater than the beginning. Talk to me, Job. Can I call Job to the witness stand? If I call Job to the witness stand, I'd say, Job, do you declare to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? And Job say, Amen. I say, Job, can you tell me that what you had was taken away? Job say, Amen. I say, Job, can you tell me that after suffering all those physical problems, can you tell, the, can you tell this, this group of witnesses today that, that, that God uh, restored you? Job say, praise the Lord. Brother Mike, if I said to Job, Job, was your bank account larger at the end or the beginning? Job could probably say, glory to God. He gave me double for all my, oh God have mercy. Y'all ain't want to help me. Job could probably say, he gave me double for all my trouble. So when I looked up this word, Restore, amen, brother Jason. It says that God's going to give me um, not only what I lost, but God's going to give me, amen, a greater amount and a larger sum than what I had in the beginning. He got the strangest math in the world. 
Let's go to Psalm 32. Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2. I want to bring this home. I want to land this thing. Praise the Lord. Psalm 32, 1 and 2. What does it say? A Psalm of David. It said, Bless is he whose transgression is forgiven. Let, let me use the Hebrew words that David used here. He said, Blessed is he whose pesha, which means whose rebellion, whose revolt. Blessed is he who rejected God's authority. Lord, have mercy. Is forgiven. Who's Hattai, Hebrew. Who's missing the mark is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. The Hebrew word awan. What does it mean? Crooked behavior. Perverted ways. It means to bend or distort. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute crooked behavior. And in whose spirit there is no deceit. Remaya, which means fraud. David said, as much as I try to rationalize and minimize my weaknesses, I've got to admit my mistakes are what they are. Great day in the morning. Won't that preach right there? Somebody said, what you talking about, preacher? You talk to us about David being this great shepherd boy, David being this mighty warrior and king, but he would have never enjoyed any of those successes had he not been repentant. Isn't that right, saints of God? Now, we're familiar with the 51st Psalm, but the 51st Psalm occurred after Nathan the prophet confronted David. What about 32? That was David looking back over his whole life. And realizing the many times he'd failed God. Are you with me, saints of God? David said, boy, we ought to be a happy people. That God has forgiven our rebellion. That God has forgiven our revolt. The fact that God forgave us for rejecting his authority. We ought to be one blessed people. David said we were full of rebellion, crooked behavior, and fraud. You say, preach, I don't understand. Well, quite naturally, this revolves around 2 Samuel chapter 11. What's 2 Samuel chapter 11? The sin of David with Bathsheba. There was a time when the men, Brother Stephen, went off to war. David was the king. Didn't the king lead the charge? But out on the pavilion, while enjoying the comforts of home, he saw a beautiful lady bathing whose name was Bathsheba. She was the wife of another man, Uriah the Hittite. A lot of people don't realize and have failed to take the time to understand that Uriah was one of the elite soldiers in David's army. Right? But when he should have been off to war, he was at home. And seeing this woman, what did he do? He lusted after her. And lusting after her, he sent for her to join him. 
in the king's palace. She didn't resist. And she came. Well, the rest is history. Because she conceived a child by the king. We know in time the the child died. But before that, David learns she's expecting. And he tries to cover it up. So he brings Uriah home from the war. He tells him to go home and enjoy the pleasure of his wife. You're talking about a man who was concerned with the fate of his country. And how many of you know that he wouldn't even have relations with her? Wouldn't even go in and enjoy the benefit of his lovely wife. So David said, hey man, we got to step up our game. We got to get this brother intoxicated. Got to get him drunk. That didn't work. So what does he do then? He summons Joab and he says, Joab, I want you to send this man to the forefront of the hottest battle. And here's what it says, Jay. When you get him there, I want you to retreat from him. I want you to get him right out there on the front line. And then I want you to back up and leave him by himself. Friend, how many of you know there's only one fate you can suffer outside of divine intervention in a moment like that, and that fate is death. How many know Uriah died? Uriah died. Brother Michael, his wife's pregnant by the king. David said, I'm good. Didn't he? You know what he said, Brother Anthony? Oh, yeah. I've been successful. Now nobody's going to know. Oh, glory to God. Guess who knew? <laughs> I said, guess who knew somebody? What you talking to us like this at Harvest Church for today, preacher? Somebody knows. Huh? What you talking to us like this for? I'm undercover. Oh, no. Somebody knows. Somebody knows, saints of God. Somebody knows his name is Jesus. Somebody knows. David said, I'm okay. Man, nobody will ever have to know. This baby's going to be born. We're going to be all right. This man's died. I've taken his wife. I'm the king. Who's going to oppose me? God spoke to a little preacher in the neighborhood one day. Woo! He said to the king, I want you to, he said to that preacher, he said, I want you to go down and see the king. And I want you to ask the king this question. What would you do with a man that had a had an assortment of lambs but he took the one that belonged to another what would you do with that man and the king said you bring him to me and I'll restore to him four times what he's lost the little preacher said well you are the man You are the man. Oh, my God from heaven. Don't you know then 
that brother there was some there was a crushing blow that hit the man of God when he was brought to the realization of his wrong and it made known that you are not the one that knows but God knows huh you know what that's why it prompted him to respond Psalms 32 and 5 look at Psalms 32 and 5 let's see what Psalms 32 and 5 says it says I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. You know what David was saying, Brother Khan? If we will look at it in the original Hebrew text, you know what David was saying? He was saying, I have an announcement. God help me. He said, I have an announcement today. Brother Marty, there's an acknowledgement that I, that I need to make. Can I tell you something in this congregation this morning? There ain't no substitute for forgiveness. Ooh, glory. Hallelujah. You can tell me till you're blue in the face, but there's a guilt attachment to sin. There's a guilt attachment to sin. And when you have violated and transgressed the law of God, that guilt will ride you to the ground. And what did David say? He said, I, I have an announcement to make. David said, I'm not going to pretend that this didn't happen anymore. But I'm going to make my transgressions known to the Lord. And he will forgive me of my iniquity. Isn't that right, saints of God? We feel today that we can conceal things from people. From our family. From our friends. Associates and those close to us. But how many know God knows the heart? How many know God searches the heart? Well, you said earlier, preacher, David wasn't perfect. No, no. David was far from perfect. And I got news for us. And so are we. So are we. We are so far from perfect. Thank God there's no substitute for repentance. The word repent means to turn away from. In more indefinitely, it means to totally abandon sin. That's what repent means. Brother said it this morning in our time of Sunday school. What's the only kind of sin God can't deal with? Unconfessed sin. And here's the piece I got for you. The Lord, the Lord don't hold grudges. Woo, glory to God. Hallelujah. Thank God. You say, preacher, what? I, I don't understand. What are you telling me? See, the amazing thing is that when this happened, David was not even removed from office for a single day. The kingdom was not stripped from his hands for one single day. Why? Because he was repentant. Because he was willing to acknowledge his sin. Repent of them. Confess them in the presence of God and be restored. Don't we serve an awesome God? I wish somebody helped me. Don't we serve an awesome God? And I know this hurts. I know this hurts. This ain't something a lot of people want to hear. But repentance requires brokenness. You got to be broken in the presence of God. Your sins have to find you in a place 
Brother Jerry, that you have to be crushed in your spirit to make amends with God. Say amen. To make, him, to make amends with God, we have to be broken in our sins, crushed in our spirit. And then we're willing to confess them and ask God's forgiveness through repentance. I'm so glad that God doesn't hold grudges. Aren't you? Repentance is an acknowledgement of sin. But accompanying that is a commitment to change. David was saying, Lord, I got an announcement to make. I'm not going to pretend this just didn't happen, God. But not only am I not going to pretend it didn't happen, I'm going to commit to change. I'm going to commit to being better. I'm going to commit to this reality. God, I'm going to completely abandon this lifestyle. So that I can live in right standing with you. Stand with me all over this place. They're singing a song of invitation. You know how I know God don't hold grudges? Because he blesses David even greater than he had before. David confessed to these sins. That, 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 that little innocent child, he dies in the process of time. Is David grieved? Y'all ain't helping me. Is David grieved? Does he grieve? Doesn't he? Did he want the Lord to spare that little baby? Of course he did, but God didn't, did he? And what did we discover from that passage of Scripture? That David determines in his heart that that baby can't come here, but that he can go where he is. You know what happened after that? You know what happened after that? The Bible said he went in into his wife, and she comforted him. Bathsheba, the same woman who just lost a baby. And who was born? Solomon. Who was he? Who was he? Outside of Jesus Christ, he's probably the wisest human being that ever lived. And did God use him to do great things? Now, don't get me wrong. David paid for his sin. Did he not? His own children turned against him. Absalom revolted against him. You know how many children he lost? Did he not, did he not tell the preacher? I restore to that man fourfold what's been taken from him. And how many children David lost? Four children. Four. But what I do discover in the Word of God is that in the end, God gave him more than he had. And so the end of him was greater than the beginning. Won't God do it? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. They're singing a song of invitation. The altar of the Lord is open. And if you need to come today, the presence of the Lord will meet you right here. Come on today if you need to come. When the music fades.